Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. We now turn to Psalm 44, which is called the Martyr Psalm. It's a psalm that you can't fully appreciate unless you're willing to go back and consider the story of our fathers, the facts of our salvation. And that's what we'll begin to do today, and I trust it will be a great blessing to you. Take your Bibles now and turn to Psalm 44. We're actually going to only look at the first three verses of it, but we'll consider it within the context of the whole. Well, Psalm 44 is an interesting psalm. Last week we shared a psalm that had an abrupt change in it. You'll see there's going to be quite an abrupt change in this psalm as well. The best outline that I found for this psalm is one that was proposed by F.B. Meyer about 100 years ago, and we'll use it for ourselves. You might write down, I'm going to give you the outline, write it down so that you can go back and look at the passage yourself. You'll see the order there. Keep in mind that this psalm is written by those who are in the deepest distress. It's been called by many the Song of the Martyrs. The psalm is expressed in five sections, so each section makes up its own point, and so there are five points in the psalm. Here they are, according to F.B. Meyer. Number one, thou hast helped us. Number one, thou hast helped us. Number two, thou must help us. Thou must help us. Number three, thou art not helping us. Number four, we are not conscious of having done anything to forfeit thy help. We are not conscious of having done anything to forfeit thy help. Number five, we ask for thy help. Thou hast helped us, thou must help us, thou art not helping us. We are not conscious of having done anything to forfeit thy help. We ask for thy help. Let's read it together. To the choir master of Maskil of the sons of Korah, I'm reading in the ESV. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your right arm and the light of your face for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors and the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sound of the enemy and the avenger. 
All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For He knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your mercy, your, your steadfast love. What a powerful psalm. Worthy of maybe a few Sundays of consideration. We'll see, but worthy at least of your meditating on it for some days hence. Let's look at this first point. Let's frame this first point within the whole that we've just read. Let everything that we've read cultivate what we're going to say. And remember that when these first words are said, the author who is writing it, those who are giving voice to these first words are in the condition that is described for us at the end of this psalm. Suffering. Suffering, though they have seemingly been faithful to all that God has called upon them to do. Suffering under what they are painfully aware is God's sovereign hand controlling all the events of their lives. And in the midst of this, they say, Thou hast helped us. That's the first point. Verses 1 through 3. It's important to recognize that these initial statements of praise and these utterances of dependence upon God are made by individuals or by a person or people who at this very moment are suffering what seems to be complete rejection from God. God does not seem to be regarding them whatsoever. And their suffering is aggravated by the fact that this is completely counter to what they've learned to be true about God. This is counter to what they confess to be true about God. They have a complaint to offer. They have an urgent cry of need to offer up before God. Still, they begin with what God has done in the past. It's a little reminder for you. You may someday find yourself in a hole so dark and deep that God's voice cannot in any way be heard by you. And it may be seem to you at that moment that God Himself has led you into that hole. Always, I say this, always, before you make your complaint to God, remember what He has already done for you. Let us note here in this passage four things that they, in a sense, remember that God has done for them. Or they remember what, about what God has done. They're going to make their complaint. They're going to express their need in words that state, God, it appears as though you're asleep and not listening to us at all. But before they get to that point, follow their example. Remember the story of what He's done, what He's done for you. Oh God, we have heard with our ears 
Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. Here's the first point. Please note that there is a recollection of something that God has done in history. It is a recollection of God's providence. God's providence is His sovereign rule expressed in history. The stories of God's providence are the stories of His work in history. They are not mythical accounts. They are historical reviews of what has been told to us by our fathers. We pause to remember something that stands as a fact of history. Not a pleasing notion, not a romantic theory, not an idea of some faithful idea that we think sounds good and charming to us, but we remember a fact, something God has done, something that God has providentially done through His sovereign power in history. If you go and study Hinduism, or you meet with those who are Hindus, there are statements that they will give to you that pretend to be and sound as if they are historical equations, but as you listen to them, the math will not add up. Someone will tell you of a famous or powerful king who once ruled over this area, and that's why this area is so famous in all of India. You might ask them, well, what were the years in which he reigned? And they'll tell you that they don't know. You might ask him, well, how long ago was his reign? And they'll shrug their shoulders and not know the answer. You will then ask them if they could tell you, well, how long did he reign over the land? And they will say to you, well, some say it was 70,000 years, and others think that it may have been a million years that his reign took place. And then they'll tell you that this good king's tears were so great for his people that they fell upon the land and formed the waters that made the Ganges River. And you know you're dealing with myth. Their fathers told them stories, but the stories were not facts, and they were not stories drawn from their own lives. They were myths. But when you come to the Bible, you are remembering stories of your father's experiences. The Jewish faith, the Christian faith, is different. It doesn't rise from myths. They find their foundation in the eyewitness accounts of men of history who are sharing their testimony of their own history. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, Jude are telling us what they saw with their own eyes and what their hands have handled concerning the word of life. Daniel tells us his story. Isaiah tells us his story. David tells us his stories. Joshua tells us his stories. Moses tells us his stories. They together will tell us the stories of their fathers that their fathers told them about themselves. They thread together an account of a God who providentially rules over all of history and rises up to act in history and in history sets His love upon some and makes them His very own. That's providence. That's the story they tell us. My father told us stories like that as well. He told us stories of having met God and God having changed his life and having met God's grace and transforming him and brought him out of the pattern of life that he was living into a life that was completely different to anything that had been taking shape in his life up to that time in a moment. He told us truths that he discovered and prayers that were answered. And, you know, if my children will recall 
if they will only listen to my phone conversations, if they will only pay attention to what we might recollect around the dinner table, if they will sit as I meet with my friends and listen in, which, by the way, is better than listening to a television program or chatting with your friends on Facebook, if they'll just listen in as we children listened in to our parents' conversations, they will see that we recall over and over again our own stories of how God has intervened in our lives, how He's healed our bodies, how He's answered our prayers. They're here because He answered our prayers. And we don't exaggerate. God's work is great. We tell our stories to our children. Tell your stories to your children. Your story of finding His grace of salvation, your accounts of prayers that God heard and answered and of the protection that He gave you. As I was writing these words out, scripting them out on the page, came to my mind just one of the many stories that we heard accounted as we were growing up as children. In this story, my father tells the account of driving from Skykomish, Washington to Formosa, Kansas, where he was going to become the pastor of a village missions church. My mother and my three oldest siblings were with him. He was driving in his DKW. By the way, I googled it. I can't even find a picture of a DKW. It sounds like a German-made car. It was a front-wheel drive. Well, I hope the story has caught your attention and you'll come back and join us for our next broadcast as we complete the story and see how this fits into the record of how God brings encouragement to us even in the face of great trials. Until then, may God assist you in finding your own story and rehearsing it. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next broadcast, God bless you.